Our scripture reading this morning is in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. Receive then the word of the Lord as it is read to you this morning. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So ends the reading of God's Word, and you may be seated. You're going to have to excuse me this morning. I got a cold this weekend, so we're going to ask the Lord's strength to bring, bring me through this, and hopefully, hopefully without too much distraction. So, yeah, thank you. We have our first PowerPoint. Uh, this TV show used to be on um, a little while back, and I'm not holding this up as an example of how to do relationships, because most of what they demonstrated was how not to do relationships. And, but it is kind of a little bit the inspiration of my thought for this series of Desperate Households, because our households are, are, are really suffering. Uh, and you can take that slide down. We've seen enough of them. <clears throat> but journey into the main street of America and the facade of the white picket fence, and inside, too many homes are suffering. Things are not as they seem. The foundation is crumbling of the home and the family, and the wreckage of relationship is all around us, and things just aren't as they appear. These households aren't aren't quite what we want or what we expected when we got into the deal. They aren't television shows, and marriages aren't forever honeymoons as much as we would like it to be. And last week we discussed marriage, and we talked a little bit about the four C's. Let's see how well we remember them. What was one of them? Okay, commitment was one of them. Okay, Christ was one. Consideration? Communication, okay. So communication was the first one, and we have a little help from a friend here. And that's actually the second one. That's consideration. Honey, how about a massage oils and candles tonight? No? Okay, but don't say I never asked. And a lot of times we don't really focus in on one another. We look for all the excuses we can to not be considerate of one another. Can we come up with the uh, other one? With... Uh, okay, that's not it either. Um, <clears throat> it's a sneak preview of coming attractions. Anyway, consideration uh, is one. Communication, and we have this short attention span. Uh, You can put that one down. I'll save that for later. And then commitment. Commitment to each other in a culture that doesn't know what commitment is. And then finally, we said that these were possible through Christ, our fourth C. And by having Christ, 
our personal commitment to Christ and then also Christ being the resource at the center of our relationships. Today we're going to explore marriage just a little bit more, but from a different angle. Our topic is desperate for compatibility. Desperate for compatibility. Uh, I'm inspired by a book by uh, Barb and Chuck Snyder. He used to be a uh, chaplain for the Seattle Seahawks and uh, also a pastor and so on. And uh, he and his wife wrote this book, Grounds for a Great Marriage. What makes grounds for a great marriage? Incompatibility. You have outlines in your bulletin. If that's something that's helpful for following along to track as we go through our thoughts, let's pray and invite God into our conversation. <clears throat> God, open our hearts to receive your word. Help us to change in our relationships by knowing you and by using the resources that you give to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So first of all, <clears throat> incompatibility is a given. When you and your spouse were dating, you had everything in common with one another. And now we can do that PowerPoint you just had up there. <clears throat> we have a cycle of what's happening in the morning here. And you'll notice the times in the boxes there. She starts at 6 o'clock and she's doing her hair and you see it's progressing and so on. We see at 5.57 he gets up and she says, I did uh, my hair in under an hour today. And he says, you know, sometimes we're so alike, it's scary. <clears throat> you shared your dreams, you shared your values, you shared in conversations as you were dating and courting one another. You felt like two peas in a pod. But after the wedding, you began to see some differences. And pretty soon those differences seemed more than you could count. And they no longer looked cute as they did before. And so we'll eavesdrop on these couples. <clears throat> I love technology. Okay, of course I'm pig-headed. You knew that when you married me. They're pigs. <clears throat> or the next one. That's not the next one, but uh, we'll do that one. Uh, there we go. Um, and I can't see the words there. I'll see the words here. The problem as I see it is that you both are extremely adept at pushing one another's buttons. And it seems like a lot of our relationship is all about pushing each other's buttons. And why is it that we can seem to learn that so well and so easily? And now the chessmen we can put up there. And here uh, observers, the pawns are observing, this marriage will never work. She's a go-anywhere gal and he's a one-step-at-a-time guy. You have to play chess to get that one, I think. But things like, oh, I'm really into the top 25 uh, songs on the radio and so on, and, well, my partner's more into country, or I thought four kids, and the other person thought one or two, and, and we'll raise them the way I was raised. And my spouse says, what? And toilet paper, which way does it come off the roll? And, you know, and, uh, uh, or toothpaste, you know, squeeze it, or up from the bottom, you know. I like to get every last drop. I'm from a bottom kind of guy. Or like this couple. I don't have time for 
helping to illustrate that point. Some of the differences seem pretty minor, trivial, petty. Others, well, they're more serious. And sometimes it's just because they're our preference. People often feel these differences in marriage are simply to be endured or eliminated. And in fact, incompatibility is one of the most frequently used excuses for divorce in our culture. So I want to lay a different challenge on us this morning. I want to share what I believe relates to all relationships, not just marriage. The, trans- the concepts are transferable. But if both of you in a relationship were exactly identical, exactly the same in that relationship and how you responded to life, no incompatibilities, do you realize that one of you is not necessary? (laughs) You see, the basic question is, when do you feel loved? And how do you feel loved? And those were the questions that Dr. John Gray used as kind of the premise for his book, Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. How and when do you feel loved? Some first grade girls weighed into this issue of differences, and here were some of the distinctions they saw. They said girls are more better than boys. Girls chew with their mouths closed. Girls don't pick their noses. (laughs) Thank you. And girls don't smell as bad. And girls are more smarter, and girls shave more. Not to be outdone, the boys said, a five-day vacation requires only one suitcase. If someone forgets to invite you to something, he or she can still be your friend. You can quietly enjoy a ride from the passenger seat. Gray hair and wrinkles only add character. Look how much character I've got. And you are expected to know the names of no more than four colors. Chartreuse, you know, taupe, and all of these. You know, what language is that? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, Let us make humans in our image. Each one of us is different. Each one of us is unique. I often used to tell my young people in youth ministry that If everybody was just like Bill Goodwin, I'd want off planet Earth. Why? Because Bill Goodwin's bad? No. It would be boring if all of us were the same. All of the differences and uniquenesses that each of you brings and offers adds diversity and adds character and adds stimulation and variety to life. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times that in my 40 years of counseling couples, but we've got nothing in common, Pastor. No, duh. That statement actually is untrue because the reality is we do have lots in common. It's just not where we choose to focus our attention. Many things aren't in common, but humans were made and created so we can learn and adapt. And yet we often choose not to. And God is creator. And God is also 365, 24-7 tech support so that your relationship can work. And his word is the owner's manual that we can follow to help us in our relationships. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, Submit to one another, how? Out of reverence to Christ. Out of reverence to Christ. 
Pastor G.K. Chesterton said, if we can be divorced for incompatibility, I cannot conceive why all of us are not divorced. I've known many a happy marriage, but never a compatible one. Dr. Archibald Hart, one of my professors in my doctoral program, said, marriage is defined as the union of two imperfect people in an impossible relationship. Humanly speaking, it seems almost impossible to make a marriage work. That marriage should just come natural, shouldn't it? It should be easy, shouldn't it? A man married for 63 years said to me, marriage is a mistake that I highly recommend everyone ought to make. (laughs) Basically, marriage is a lifelong process of building a union of two people who are so different that without God, the author and inventor of marriage, it's difficult to make it work. For most Americans, well, let me ask, what would be your model of marriage? What's kind of your illustration to explain marriage? And for many Americans, it's a new car. We just love that kind of new car feel. You go in the showroom and it looks like a dream. The car runs well, it purrs smoothly, it smells good, but it seems like you no sooner drive it off the lot when you get dings in the door, rocks in the windshield, it doesn't purr any longer, it growls, it's harder to start, it loses its shine, the springs sag, the shocks are shot, and the muffler, well, let's not go there. And the kids get sick in the back seat, and so much for the new car smell. You can buy one of those little pine trees and hang in there, but it just doesn't cut it. You see, in this model, it all goes downhill after you leave the altar. And so we think, if only I could get back to how it used to be, the good old days. If only I could get that captured, the way we felt in those first days. No marriage is perfect at its beginning. Marriage is kind of like an erector set. I don't know if you all know what that is. But in my day, they had this erector set with all sorts of metal gizmos and so on, little engines and stuff that you could put together and create things. And I believe that God gives each one in the couple relationship these pieces to an erector set that allows us to create what we want. Legos would probably be the more contemporary example of that. You must have the basic foundational pieces, and God's Word is that foundation on which we can... It's the instruction manual, but it'll help us to build our relationship together. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God says that the two will become one, a mystery. How does that happen exactly? What does that feel like exactly? And we get moments, we get glimpses when we're yielded to God's Spirit and when our attitudes are in the right frame of mind and we come together as a couple, we get glimpses of what that's like. And God wants you to build on that. And you may think you've got it all together when you leave the altar, and that's largely because of something that we call romantic love. And romantic love is actually a temporary form of insanity. And it's a kind of insanity that fogs up our view so we don't see things so clearly until the fog starts to dissipate. And you're called in marriage to assemble your kit together, creating something 
beautiful out of the kit that God gave you. But we find there are differences in the various pieces that we bring to the table. She's got a Volkswagen front and I've got a pickup truck back. And how do we make this get together so it functions? We just do what we want and the result is too often chaos. So the second point is to look briefly at some of the sources of incompatibility, some of the sources of these differences that tend to alienate us as opposed to drawing us together. And it's interesting that a lot of those incompatibilities and those differences are the very things we saw in the other person because of an absence in ourselves that were so attractive when we first met each other. I've got a cartoon, I think. Words are off the screen there. Okay, this one. I'm learning to accept you just the way you are until I'm done changing you. (laughs) Then the next one. Here, we need to focus on more on one another's needs. Okay, okay, I'll turn up the thermostat. She's wearing a couple of rolls of insulation around her. And then the last one, or next one. Should be the lock horns. Nope, that comes at the end of the sermon. (laughs) My cue to be done, I think. So anyway, don't shut down in the relationship. Here we got it, okay. It's not my fault that you talk longer than my attention span. <clears throat> in Genesis 1.27, says that God created humans. He created them male and female in His image. God created each one of us different right from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it elaborates further. It says, it's not good for a person to be alone. He meant for us to be in relationships. How are we doing at it? The differences of family background. The differences that children bring to our marriage. The differences of ideas of discipline and so on. The differences when the kids leave. And then we've got an empty nest. And then they return and the nest is over full. All of these things communicate to different, uh, the differences that we have. Research has shown that women speak 35,000 words per day with gusts up to 45 or 50,000. Men speak about 20,000, no gusts. And most of that's used up before they come home in the evening. And the wives wonder why they won't talk. There's different personality types. There's type A's and type B, and I'm sure you don't have any idea which I might be. It might come a little clearer as I bear my soul here. Type A's are always in a hurry. They always want to get going. What's next? They, they like to get there early. They have a low tolerance for frustration. Uh, they will finish your sentences for you. They have a deep sense of justice, whereas type B's are a little different, a little more slow, a little more methodical. I call it sluggish, but they tend to run late. They have lots of patience. 
not their responsibility to keep the world at peace and keep the world in line. You see, type A's, especially male type A's, especially pastor male type A's, they go into a supermarket, they grab the little basket, they go to the exact aisle where they know the one or two items that they need and came for are, they get those suckers, they don't look at all the magazines and candy bars and everything at the checkout aisle, what they do look for is the express lane. And they look for the express lane that says 10 or less items and cash only, and they know it'll be a breeze through that line. They tap their foot as they wait for the two or three people in front of them. They're always counting the number of items of the people in front of them, going, mm, 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 if it's uh, too many, or if they begin to take out their checkbook to fill out a check. <clears throat> and I think stores have a little conspiracy going on. I think they always put type Bs as cashier and bagger for the express lanes, <laughs> just to slow us down. Did I mention that I might be a type A? So, point three on your outline. What do we do to overcome our differences? How is it that we can thrive in the midst of the differences? I'd like to suggest first that we learn how to release our partner to be himself or herself. To just simply release them. I want to share these words from God's Word once again that were read for us by Andy a little earlier. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. That doesn't mean same-minded. It seems it's just that we are thinking on the same vein, the same goal in mind of coming together in relationship. Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and of one mind, do nothing from selfishness or selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And that's not saying that you put yourselves down. That's simply saying that you raise others up. And rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Wow. Humility is a word that was used in there. And I think if we came more in a spirit of humility into the relationship, into the disagreements, into the strife, into the midst of the differences, that we would do much better. And it's one of the resources that God gives you. Valuing others as God made them. Valuing not just your interests, but their interests, what drives them in their relationships. Grow to say that I will love you for who you are, not for who I need you to be. How could we release our partner? Secondly, work hard to learn and understand your differences. One of the things I've often said since I got married is that I'm a student in that marriage to learn my spouse, to learn her various uh, things that make her go, make her tick, and to learn how to work within those. Be students of your mate. Take them seriously. Be patient. Pay attention to what the differences are about and how it adds to that beautiful person that you married. Thirdly, learn to forgive and to accept 
differences in one another. Early in my relationship, I would ask, why, why, why are they like this? And the Holy Spirit would whisper in my ear and say, Bill, forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgiveness is so important. And wanting them to be like you, that'll breed discontent. Wanting them to be like you, show a lack of respect, which then leads to contempt and bitterness and resentment and anger and frustration. God says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. And that sets you free in your relationship. It's liberating. And you can live with one another in joy. Fourthly, develop some common interests. A lot of times you come into a relationship, and it seems like when you were dating, you liked everything that the other person liked. That's because they were putting on their best, liking everything you liked, and you were putting on your best, liking everything they liked. But somehow when we get a marriage license, we kind of give up on that, and we go back to what we like, and now it's my way or the highway. Develop some common interests. We've picked up some things like backpacking and hiking and kayaking and yoga, I'm trying to learn, and theater. And I'm appreciating that more and more. Uh, You know, learning to like the things the other person enjoys, growing, stretching yourself. You do have the God-given ability to be able to adapt. Fifth, learn to give love gifts. Basically, a love gift is learning to give something to the other person when you don't really necessarily feel like it or want to. For instance... When my wife wants to have a conversation for me and I'm watching TV, one of the first things I often do is to take the remote control, turn the TV off. I want to give her my undivided attention. Did I want to see the program? Probably. Oh, well. I'll catch it another time, maybe. But I mainly wanted to be there for my wife and to talk. And so that can be a way. A couple of thoughts on that is, first of all, you can't ask for it or expect it. And then secondly, you forfeit the right to complain while doing it. So if I turned the TV off and kept reaching for the remote or kept looking at the screen anyway, hoping I would see what was happening next in that ball game, uh, then I've kind of undone it. Chuck and Barb Snyder, are the ones that wrote this book here, uh, they had some rules that they came up with because pets were an issue in their relationship, and one kind of liked pets and the other didn't. Fortunately, Don and I have that in sync. Either one of us can do without pets. Uh, so it's not a problem for us. But here's what they came up with, the top ten rules for dog owners. The dog is not allowed in the house, okay? Okay, but the dog is allowed in the house, but only in certain rooms. Oh, the dog is allowed in all rooms, but has to stay off the furniture. The dog uh, can go on the old furniture only. Uh, Fine, the dog is allowed on all the furniture, but not allowed to sleep with the humans in the bed. Okay, the dog is allowed in the bed, but only by invitation. Okay, the dog can sleep on the bed whenever he wants, but not under the covers. Okay, the dog can sleep under the covers by invitation. Okay, the dog can sleep under the covers every night. Uh, Finally, the rule is humans must ask permission to sleep under the covers with the dog. (laughs) And I think that's the way it is sometimes in our relationship where we, we don't choose to get along. We don't choose to find ways to celebrate the differences in one another. Finally, Celebrate your differences. Celebrate your differences. 
One of the things that I try to do as I meet people and so on is just to look for those differences, those uniquenesses. It's kind of the spice of life that makes each one of you interesting to talk to and to be involved with and to become friends with and to work on boards or committees with or to go out to the workplace or to the school or wherever it might be. Those are the seasonings of life, those differences. And to learn to appreciate the multitude of differences each of us have. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Always give thanks to God for everything in Christ's name. And I'd like to edit that for our use this morning. I'd like to say, Always give thanks to God for everything about your partner in Christ's name. Wouldn't it be a different home and family if you started to do that? With one another in the marriage relationship? With you and your children? God honors us if we, with gratitude, take seriously our differences, if we commit ourselves to understanding those differences in each other, if we make the choice to overcome the differences that we experience with one another, if we focus on finding common ground and being grounded in our Lord, back to the final C last week, Christ, having Christ in the midst of the relationship as your resource. Marriage is hard work. But God works for us and God works with us to accomplish that work. And so I want to share this final cartoon. There we go. You can go to the next one. What are you thinking, Jim? I did it, Iris. I made it to 2004. Every morning when I wake up, I'm surprised to discover that I'm still here. And I'm glad because no matter how old you are, there's always something good to look forward to. Like seeing our children and our grandchildren. Oh yeah, and our great-grandchildren. We have friends and we have each other. Oh yes, we have each other. And they smooch. That's it. I'm definitely going to wake up again tomorrow. (laughs) If that could be our spirit, our attitude with one another, what a change it would be. Bill and Gloria Gaither, a number of years ago, wrote a song. Something beautiful, something good, all our confusion he understood. All we had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of our lives. Brokenness and strife, but God wants to make something beautiful out of your lives, out of your relationships. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that helps us in the day-to-day routines, in the day-to-day relationships, amongst all the incompatibilities and differences. God, we just give our lives to you and our relationships to you, and we will trust you more for how to live out those relationships. We pray this in your name. Amen. What I'd like to do is to invite you to stand for the closing song, and if you're with your spouse, if you would hold their hand, and if they're on the worship team, maybe you could hold your hand out towards them.
Uh, and uh, just to go ahead and stand. And And this is to the traditional tune of Be Thou My Vision, but you'll notice that some of the words are modified to fit today, so just be aware of that. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my life. Be thou my vision of self-sacrifice, Loving as Jesus who gave of his life, forsaking all others and clinging to you. God, as my witness, I pledge I still do. Thou my vision of honoring 